80% of the battle is just what is your savings rate? How much of your income are you putting to work in investments? Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's going to determine your financial well-being significantly more than your sort of rate of return on your investments. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Investing City podcast, where the goal is to get better at investing, business, and life. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It really means a lot. Without further ado, enjoy this episode. On today's podcast, we are excited to host Brian Barnes. Brian is a Stanford graduate who started M1 Finance three years ago. M1 Finance is a competitor to Robinhood, the free trading solution. But M1 Finance actually goes above and beyond. It offers rebalancing and automatic investments. Mostly, we focus on M1 Finance, but Brian also talks about his background and his entrepreneurial journey. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Let's start with a little bit of your background. So you went to Stanford undergrad, and then you worked for a consulting firm. Can you just tell us kind of about Stanford and what you wanted to do, kind of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, no, for sure. So, you know, I'll actually just start the story a tad bit earlier that was raised in a family that was financially oriented. They, you know, sort of exposed me to the notion of investing at an early age, gave me access to a a brokerage account and, you know, was was very young at the time, sort of 10, 11 years old. And it just immediately latched on as, you know, this is interesting, fun, engaging, sort of became a a hobby of mine of investigating stocks, placing a, a, you know, high conviction bet on it and, you know, sometimes being right and sometimes being wrong, sometimes being very, very wrong. <laughs> um, so, you know, did that middle school, high school, into college, did go to, to undergrad at Stanford, uh, where I majored in econ and math. And so I sort of stayed in that financial realm. And, you know, when you're in at Stanford, you're sort of in the, the heart of Silicon Valley, seeing companies that didn't exist three years ago, they're, you know, seemingly IPOing for <laughs> egregious sums of money. And so you, you, you can see a lot of you know ideas come to fruition in a, in a pretty quick way, which got me interested in, in starting M1 later down the line. But yeah, I did a, a stint as a equity researcher at a hedge fund and then worked in management consulting prior to starting M1. Gotcha. That's awesome. So I wanted to talk about you latching on to investing. So is there a reason that you found investing really interesting or you found that you just had a natural knack for it or kind of what was that reason? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, I think it's just a general intellectual curiosity and trying to understand what makes things work the way they do. And the notion of investing, or at least, you know, I I sort of ascribe to the long-term value investing sort of mindset. Um, And that area is sort of just taking a company figuring out, you know, what they do, what's their competitive advantage, how are they positioned in the marketplace, how do they have pricing power, so all the, you know, aspects of how do they operate in this ultra complicated world, how do they navigate it, how do they create their, you know, niche and, and, and you know, sort of solidify their position and sort of understanding the, the fundamentals of business to do that and then ascribing a, you know, viewpoint of, okay, what is that worth? And I think that's just a very 
interesting intellectual problem to, to try to solve. And then you add the sort of entertainment value of there's money on the line. So, you know, you, if you're right, uh, it pays off. If you're not, uh, it, it doesn't. And, you know, so I think it's just a very interesting hobby to undertake that sort of tests your intellectual prowess or to test your ability to, to create a perspective on what you think is going to happen over the next several years and then place a you know bet that has a uh, real stakes at, at risk yeah exactly that's it's really good um way of saying it um what was the first stock that you ever bought um so the, the first stock i ever bought it, it was rite aid so uh i couldn't tell you why i bought it i you know at that time i was you know 10 11 investing under the purview of my parents and you know having them direct it far more than i was um but i do remember buying that stock i i, I couldn't tell you my uh my 10 year old thesis on on why that was a good pick at the time but you know quickly moved on to knowing a little bit more about my investments than uh than just uh sort of going along with my parents <laughs> that's awesome uh, it's funny because i actually bought my first stock when I was 12 and I just typed in on Google like best stocks to buy and I think I bought like the first one that I saw so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you got to start somewhere right oh for sure stepping stones right um okay so you go on to Stanford do some equity research and then consulting so you're at a consulting firm how do you get the idea to start a financial platform yeah, so you know when I was at both the hedge fund and the uh, consulting firm, I really couldn't manage my own money. So you know I went from sort of investigating stocks, you know, making longer-term investing picks, um, and, and, and managing my own money with a retail brokerage, and you know tried quite a few of them out there to not being able to do that just because of the you know regulatory environment. You know, I had to sign off on trades. We had inside you know information on a bunch of stocks, and so. You know, during that period of my life, my money was just sort of passively indexed in, in ETFs. Um, and it was actually sort of looking at a lot of the, the fintech offerings that were coming up with the, the robo-advisors, you know, Robinhood had just released with commission-free trading and sort of saying, you know, these are definitely improvements in what the retail investor can do, whether it's from a cost perspective, a uh, intuitiveness of the, the application. And I really didn't think that they were pointing towards, you know, a be all end all solution and what is possible from a money management perspective in the, the digital age. Um, and so, you know, it, it was sort of starting to think of what would the ideal platform be for me if I were to invest my own money. Um, and that's, you know, what led to M1. And so, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of what that entailed is, you know, I'd be able to tell a software platform what I wanted to own in a sort of percentage allocation perspective, and I would have ultimate control in, in that. So, you know, I, I could customize to my heart's content. If I wanted to grab, you know, an expert allocation, I could do that, but I could also, you know, customize it with anything that traded out there. And then software would automate that for me. And so, you know, I could tell the platform once, here's what I want to own, and then sort of just throw money over the wall and have it go to work in the investments that I had already decided that I wanted to own. Um, I thought, you know, the notion that, you know, stocks do uh, stock splits so that they become more affordable, but then, you know, the fact that they're all digitally represented, um, there's no reason that you're sort of confined to buying 
a $75 stock and $75 increments, you can sort of fractionalize that and own any dollar value of any stock. And so it's sort of saying, you know, just wipe away the notion of share count and just say, how much money do you want to go into the investments? And that, that's what you should be deciding, not uh, how many shares you want to buy. Um, you know, I, I sort of had a, my perspective is anytime I have cash, I want it in the market working for me in investments of my choosing. Um, and then, you know, there are times that I need liquidity. And so I want to be able to tap into my portfolio's liquidity, either using my portfolio as collateral for a loan or uh, doing it in a sort of tax advantage way. And so, you know, that's why M1's launched M1 Borrow, which lets you borrow using your portfolio as collateral at really attractive interest rates. Um, and then, you know, one, one thing that we're launching in the, or announcing in the next couple of weeks is adding checking account functionality. And so, you know, it, it moves to M1 being a platform where you manage all of your money needs. You can accept money from, you know, direct deposit and the like, you can pay bills from the application. Money is automatically swept into a custom portfolio of the investments that you want using fractional shares and automation so that all of your money is backed by exactly what you want down to the penny. And you can you know, use that portfolio to access a line of credit at really low interest rates. And so you know, it's a, I guess, somewhat long-winded way of saying that it was trying to create the, the platform that I wanted to manage my money and sort of saying that you know, it would have robust capabilities in, in doing a lot across uh, all of money management. I want to kind of dial in on a couple of factors. So you were talking about how you could do fractional shares and kind of split up stocks with pie, like pieces of a pie. So I'm sure you get this question a ton, but Robinhood was already kind of uh, a thing when you were looking into this idea. So how did you take on Robinhood? And was that something that you weren't too sure about going into it? Or how did you think about like the behemoth that was Robinhood? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, Robinhood is uh, definitely started free investing uh, or, you know, uh, actually there was Zecco trade before Robinhood. So it's not like they started it, but, you know, was probably the first brokerage to really take off with commission free trading. And they got a, you know, sort of they went viral with that as a, a theme. M1 for the first year of our operations, we were actually charging a quarter of a percent uh, and then we went free and you know, uh, similarly had a, a viral component um, spread out. And so, you know, the, the, there are a couple things at, uh, at play. And so, you know, one, I don't think that in 5, 10, 15 years, there's going to be one place to put your money. Um, you know, there, there currently aren't now, right? You know, there's... I think there's like 6,000 banks and credit unions in the United States. There's brokerages galore. There's hundreds of, you know, tens of thousands of investment advisors. There's just an infinite amount of places to to put your money. And I think that's going to continue. But I do think that there are going to be, you know, a couple of big staples. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of room in the market for multiple players. The second thing is, you know, what what is the um, use case that you're solving for? And I think that, Robinhood is very much a trading application. Uh, it is, you know, what, what it allows is buying at 10 a.m. and selling at 2 p.m. Or, you know, even more so buying at 10 a.m. and selling at 10.03 a.m. And, you know, sort of having a fast in and out and trying to play the, the, the moves of the market, trying to, you know, uh, for better or worse, you know, jump on news that comes out or, or you know, uh, just it, it, it is very much oriented towards 
trading. Um, you know, and they rolled out options as well to sort of be able to to leverage the effect of, of trading. Um, that is a use case, and you know, completely fine with uh, it being out there, people utilizing it. That's not the sort of use case that M1 ascribes to. We are very much geared towards long-term investing. And so, you know, with the M1 platform, we're doing all the buying and selling once a day. We're not even allowing you to sort of trade intraday. And so the M1 use case is, you know, I want to have ownership stake in the investments of my choosing, and I want to systematically add to it over time. And so, you know, what M1's built for is, you know, I want $500 with my paycheck every two weeks to go into a custom portfolio of 20 securities that I've hand-selected. Um, that's just, that's actually really difficult, if not impossible to do with uh, Robinhood in terms of, you know, transfer the money, wait for it to settle, have it, you know, figure out how many shares you should buy, the math's not going to add up. Um, and so, you know, it, it's much more, M1 is geared towards a long-term investment portfolio where the size, you know, the the, the bulk of your uh, investable assets are held and, you know, growing and working for you, whereas Robinhood is you know, more trading, make or lose quick money. Uh, a lot of people use it as just like a fun engagement application, you know, more of a sort of mobile game. And so, you know, I think that there's more than enough space in the market for multiple very large players and, you know, geared towards different mindsets and use cases. The early days, you actually charged a percent, but then you went fully free. So tell us the kind of about that process and how uh, you came to that decision. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, M1 as a whole has sort of three major pillars. So we have an automated investing platform that lets you invest for free. We have M1 Borrow, which is a portfolio line of credit that lets you borrow using your portfolio's collateral at really low interest rates. And then we have M1 Spend, which is checking account functionality. And so, you know, just putting that out there that we have sort of three you know, ways, three three business lines and all have sort of an equal way to, to make money. So when we launched, we were just the investing platform and we were charging 0.25%. Uh, it could scale down to, to 15 basis points on account balance. But what we were actually finding is we were making more money on backend revenue streams than we were on the fee that we charged users. And so, you know, anytime people hold cash on the M1 platform, we're able to lend that out you know, primarily to, to banks behind the scenes, uh, monetize that cash that they hold on the M1 platform. We actually can lend out securities that people own. So there's an entire marketplace to facilitate short selling. Uh, and we, you know, lend out the, the securities that our users own on the platform and get paid interest for that. A uh, little bit of a, a boogeyman in the space. It's not as bad as it, you know, is claims to be, but we do make money on order flow. So we get paid to transact on uh, some off-market exchanges. Uh, it actually benefits the the customer by getting improved pricing, but um, you know the, the, those three revenue streams were actually adding up to more than the fee that we were charging our users. And so there was a little bit of a calculation of, hey, if we were to you know go free, double our growth, that alone pays for itself. Um, and you know it has held true. We you know from that decision, we probably 10xed <laughs> our, our our growth rate. And so you know it, it was uh, a strong economical move for us, the company, as well as, you know, providing quite a bit of benefit to the, the end consumer. Uh, and then, you know, for the other revenue streams, we do use, uh, lend out money for a portfolio as collateral or, um, you know, 
using your portfolio's collateral and we charge interest on that. It's a very low rate. It's currently four and a quarter percent, uh, but we make money uh, there. And then with the, the checking account functionality, we'll also be making money. Um, we have two ways that we uh, can make money on that. One is uh, making money on interest and interchange. So anytime you know cash is held in the account or people swipe the M1 card, uh, there's, you know, we can make money that way, or there's an annual fee that we can charge for a membership where it basically gives back all the interest that we make and the interchange that we make back to the consumer. So, you know, a, a person can sort of opt into one of those two plans, either get a completely free version where we make the money on it, or they pay an annual fee and we sort of rebate everything we make uh, on a more variable basis. The order flow boogeyman. Why do you think that has become such uh, kind of a negative connotation. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, for a few reasons. And I think, you know, the, the biggest of which is most people don't necessarily understand the mechanics of it. And so when they learn, hey, you know, here's companies making money or doing something in a way that I don't fully understand or isn't, you know, completely transparent, uh, just sort of gives you the, there must be something nefarious going on here. Um, second thing is, you know, the, the firms that make the most money candidly are Citadel, Virtue, uh, you know, sort of these big behemoth um, finance companies that, you know, make obscene amount of money. And I don't think that they're always looked at in the greatest light. And so, you know, I think there's sort of a boogeyman aspect of, hey, you know, th th there must be something, um, nefarious going on, but, you know, sort of the, the pro side of the payment for order flow is, you know, when I started investing, everything was quoted in sixteenths of dollars, which is actually insane. And the fact that, you know, the sixteenths don't divide evenly into a, a dollar <laughs> makes it even more insane. Um, but, you know, the, the, the spread on any security in the best case scenario was sort of a sixteenth of a dollar. You know, that has become massively, massively compressed with electronic market making. Well, I guess one first, the decimalization of, of trading so that we're now going and trading in pennies or even fractions of pennies, uh, and then electronic market making. And that's really what all these, you know, dark pools, for lack of a better term, or off-market exchanges are doing. So, you know, Citadel is sort of saying, hey, we will do an electronic market making service and you know, execute at better prices than you could otherwise get if you were to trade openly on New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ. And so the, the way that the actual mechanics work is if you were, you know, we were to place an order for a you know, tradable stock on New York Stock Exchange or, or NASDAQ, there might be a five cent spread. So there's a, you know, five cent difference between what you could buy and sell the, the security at. If you go off market exchange, they'll say, hey, we'll give you a two penny spread. And so, you know, we'll, we'll sort of compress both. We'll, you know, you'll have to pay less if you want to buy it. You'll get more if you want to sell it. And so it benefits the end consumer. And uh, the electronic market makers are sort of saying, you know, we'll make money on thinner margins, but we'll make up for it in volume. And in order to get that volume, we're going to pay brokerages to send us their flow our way. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's a, it, it's been a, absolute net boon for the retail consumer that, you know, one, it allows free investing and, you know, ways to, to monetize 
um, outside of charging a commission. It massively reduces spreads that, you know, spreads are pennies now, not, uh, you know, 10 cents, 15 cents, whatever they, they were in the past. Um, and so, you know, I think it's it, it, on, on the whole, it's been a big positive development for the retail consumer. I think that the negative is it is a little bit more opaque than having everything occur in full transparency. Um, and, you know, some people are making money in um, like less known ways. Uh, the, the way that I like to sort of the analogy I like to give it is, you know, there, there's a reason that every time you swipe your credit card, you get a percent cash back. And that's because there's on the back end a 3% interchange fee that the, you know, the Visa or MasterCard are charging, and they'll give you a percent back. And so, you know, there, there's sort of people making money in the background that is, you know, less upfront than just charging a consumer anytime they, they swipe their credit card. Um, I actually think that's a, a, a benefit and it, um, you know, sort of adds to the ease and use of services and offerings out there. Um, and, you know, the, the payment for order flow, the sort of exchange market is significantly more efficient than uh, even the, the, the credit card example that I gave that, you know, we're, we're talking about fractions of, of 1%, you know, one, two, three basis points in terms of spreads rather than the, the 3% that the credit cards charge. Uh, thank you for those clarifications. You uh, made that really clear just because, yeah, I think there is kind of that stigma around it, but um, that's super interesting. So I want to kind of backpedal just a little bit. So when you're at the consulting firm and you see um, kind of this vision unfold for M1, just take us through some of the logistics of actually getting it off the ground. And um, did you have a technical background? How did you actually get this thing going? Um, I'm just personally really interested in that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, when I was at both the hedge fund and uh, consulting firm, most of my research was on enterprise software companies. And so, you know, in the hedge fund world, it was primarily, you know, looking at making big investments into these companies. And then in the consulting space, it was, you know, either a acquirer looking to purchase, you know, purchase a company to bring it internally, a private equity firm looking to purchase it. And so there was a lot of surveying just enterprise IT solutions. And it got me just utterly fascinated with the power of software and automation um, that, you know, I think over time, computers are just automating and digitizing more and more complex tasks. And so they used to automate really mundane tasks, then there was a little bit more complicated, and then, you know, you know sort of has snowballed to do pretty robust things and, and, you know, things that are at least, you know, far, far more capable than what a um, person could do or a, a team of people could do. And so that fascination just, you know, started me on a track of, I need to learn to program and code to at least know, you know, what's going on. At least I can talk knowledgeably about this and, and not um, be overshadowed by, you know, people in the know versus myself. And so I sort of sat down with textbooks every night and just hammered away, uh, you know, teaching myself the, the logic and programming. I'm, I'm by no means good enough to program at a professional level, but I'm, I'm good enough to call out things that I know are, are, are fake when, when our engineers are trying to throw one over on me. 
Um, so, you know, uh, I guess learned enough to be dangerous. So, you know, that, that was a lot of the foundational knowledge leading up to M1. In terms of starting the company, uh, you know, it's a, creating a finance application is very different than your typical startup. Um, insofar as, you know, the, the startup sort of methodology is put out a MVP, minimum viable product, iterate on it, get feedback and the like. And, you know, that, that's impossible to do with a finance application. It's, you know, super heavily regulated. And so there's a high barrier to entry and you have to sort of check all the boxes from a regulator's perspective prior to even offering your services. Um, and then, you know, you're also dealing with people's money. You're the, the steward of their hard-earned capital. And, you know, even if we were to credit people you know, more money than they otherwise should receive. It's just a loss of faith. You know, we had, we, we, we couldn't be pretty accurate. Everything had to be, you know, sort of airtight to, to launch. And so, you know, we was fortunate enough at Stanford and beyond to be um, people who were able to provide the, the capital to sort of create a larger, more sustainable um, company on more or less a, a vision. Um, quickly got, you know, head of compliance to start a broker dealer, um, you know, person who led back-end engineering and front-end engineering um, to sort of create the automated trading systems as well as the front-end clients, the, you know, web app, iOS app, uh, Android app that people use on the, the market. Uh, a lot of operations people, and it was sort of, uh, you know, just heads down, plug away. <laughs> um, you know, so it was, you know, the, the so M1 as an entity is, three years old, the, the first year was, you know, getting the regulated entity up and running, building the back-end infrastructure, building the front-end client experience, a, you know, sort of year uh, that was public when we were charging, um, you know, sort of trying to perfect the product, and then sort of a, has been a year of scaling, and then, you know, in the last year, we've also launched the portfolio line of credit, and we're launching the checking account functionality um, soon, so it's, you know, just been a lot of, you know, gathering the right smart people and, and, and building um, the, the product that we think should be the next generation general finance account. Super interesting. So you mentioned um, in a finance app, you can't really iterate super easily because there's all these kind of barriers to entry. So you also mentioned that you kind of raise funding on a vision. So that that person must have really, or group must have really believed in you. Is that true? Yeah, you know, so um, part of it was personal money, family money, and so you know they they were uh, supportive, and I believed in myself, and so uh, we, we was able to do that, and then you know was able to to find other partners who yeah definitely believed in me, and then there's you know ways to to structure the investment um, such that there's still downside protection with you know upside potential, and so there was you know some tricky finagling in the the financing of the the first round to be able to start the company. That's awesome. Um, so you um, do things very differently from, say, a Robinhood. Um, just looking around your app, you have expert pies, which are um, kind of like baskets of pre-picked stocks. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So the entirety of the M1 platform is all about constructing a portfolio and then automating that portfolio. And so, you know, pretty dissimilar to the retail brokerage model of picking a stock, placing a trade, specifying the order type, clicking a button and having the trade go through. That's sort of the, you know, 
Ameritrade, E-Trade, Fidelity, Schwab model. And then, you know, that's what Robinhood does as well, but, you know, came down on the, the cost side. Uh, M1 is, you know, more saying, what share of my money do I want in a certain investment? And so you can come to the platform and say, you know, I want 5% of my money in Amazon. So you can sort of pick a stock and, and pick a percentage. Or you could say, I want 15% of my money in tech stocks. And then that can become its own pie because we're, 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 you're actually constructing pie charts. And you can say, I want, you know, this percent in Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. So, the, you know, it's an intuitive way to construct a portfolio and specify what share of your money goes into certain investments. And then when money comes into the platform, it just intelligently goes into that portfolio that you've constructed. Because it's all on a percentage basis, it doesn't really matter if there's $100 in the pie or $10 million in the pie, you know, 8% just goes into the, you know, the, the slice that you have 8% in. And so what we've done is we've created a big catalog of what we call expert pies. And so these are pre-populated portfolios that can just match a whole bunch of different investment, you know, um, once. And so we have some that are just built around general investing, some that are built around retirement, some that are, you know, replicating major hedge funds, some that are, you know, direct investing in a specific industry. And so any person on the M1 platform can either grab a, you know, expert pie that is pre-populated, pre-curated, sort of an expert portfolio creation. They can use that for all of their portfolio. They can use that for 90% of their portfolio and have a 10% slice that is, you know, more of their high conviction picks or engaged picks, or they can just, you know, go at it from scratch and, and customize to their heart's content. And so, you know, M1 is, it's about portfolio construction, portfolio allocation, and then, um, you know, customizing it as much as you feel comfortable doing so. What's one thing that you would advise investors, just one piece of advice that you would give somebody um, to really improve their investing? Um, yeah, so, you know, I, I do think the bulk of investing is more, is, you know, 80% of your investable assets going to work and working for you and in, you know, return generating assets or is 10%. And, you know, so like in some sense, the 80% the of the battle is just what is your savings rate? How much of your income are you putting to work in investments? Um, and so, you know, I, I think that's going to determine your financial well-being significantly more than your sort of rate of return on your investments. Once you sort of, you know, check that box and say, you know, I'm going to save a good amount of my income, I'm going to put my my money to work in investment so that it's it's earning money for me as opposed to just sitting idle and likely earning money for someone else. Um, I think it's more deciding what type of investor or trader do you want to be? You know, it, with, with the trading model, do you want to, you know, try to make, all, you know, a lot of different trades on short-term noise and market news? Personally, I think that's a very tough battle. I, I wouldn't want to do it. I'm not very good at it. But you know, people have done it to, to great success. Or do you want to sort of say, I want to be a long-term oriented thing, establish ownership in things that you know produce value and capture some of that value over time? And sort of that's the the trader versus investor mindset. And then even within the investor mindset, it's you know, do I want to sort of take do the, the passive approach? which is take the market average, but keep my costs super low? 
and just you know generate the returns incumbent on ownership in, in various securities? Or do I want to make a more active um, high conviction pick where I run a you know little bit more of a concentrated portfolio? I'm selecting the securities. I choose what I want to own and not own based on you know, whatever it may be, the liking of the product, fundamentals, the valuation. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of ways to sort of orient your investment style. And again, a very long-winded way to say, I think it's most important to know which one you're doing. <laughs> that, you know, if, if you're doing the passive approach, be passive. You know, just do that. If you're, you're doing the long-term investing approach, know you're doing the long-term investing approach and don't react to a news article that comes out, you know, on Tuesday, because uh, it, 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 you know, it doesn't affect the, the business or it's unlikely to affect the business four years from now. And that's really what you're trying to you know, decide, you know, eight years from now, 15 years from now. Uh, if you're the, you know, hyperactive trader, you know, the fundamentals probably mean less to you. You know, the, uh, it, it's more about short-term sentiment and momentum and and news and yeah the, the like and so you know I think it's um, knowing what game you're playing and sticking to that. It's kind of a funnel, right? Um, you have to actually get money into the top of the funnel, your savings rate, and then you go down a little bit and. It's okay now. Am I going to be trader long term and then going down the funnel? You have passive and active. Um, so I think that's a really good way of thinking about it. But so I want to bring something up that the way I actually found out about M1 and you is you were applying to comments on Reddit. And um, I thought that was a particularly interesting platform to really be doing customer service. But I just want to hear some thoughts about kind of Reddit and maybe some other marketing platforms that people maybe don't use as often. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a personal user of Reddit. I, I uh, procrastinate on it. <laughs> I, you know, uh, look up funny things on Reddit. And so, you know, that, that that's most of my time and use on Reddit. But I think Reddit is an unbelievable tool for building small communities or, you know, even large communities. You know, there, there are some the subreddits out there with you know, millions or tens of millions of followers. So, you know, by no means small. Um, and, you know, so with the community aspect, there's a M1 definitely appeals to the person who is a investor, not a trader, who at least has some perspective in what they want to own. So they want to have some influence over what they decide is in their portfolio. They don't want to just completely outsource it. And this is the, the same type of person who is, you know, watching MSNBC, reading Seeking Alpha, going to Yahoo Finance, and, and sort of, you know, these, these huge finance sites, they're, you know, similar to me insofar as they, like, have a hobby of trying to find companies to invest in and, and make bets in it. And so, you know, the Reddit community for us has sort of organically spun up and it's people sharing, you know, tips on how to best use the M1 platform, their stock ideas, their investment ideas. Um, and for, you know, me and everyone at the company, it's just extremely fun to see really strong engagement with 
the product that you've created. Um, you know, we, we've spent some uh, long days, nights, weeks, months <laughs> working on this, uh, you know, uh, putting our, our heart and soul into creating what we want to, you know, be the, the best investing platform out there and having people respond to it in a positive way is just super rewarding. And so, you know, I, I probably go on our subreddit uh, just out of enjoyment and that it's, you know, fun to, to interact with the people who are, you know, using your product and, and trusting you with, with their money. You know, it's a, it's a cool and large responsibility that we take very seriously that we, you know, pe people are bringing over their quarter million dollar IRAs. These are, this is their life savings and they're putting it on the, the platform because they're saying, you know, M1 is most aligned with my investment wants and needs and, and, you know, think that they're going to be the the best platform for me to manage my money long term. And, you know, it's just it's really fun to engage with the, the community of people who have bought into that. That's awesome. Um, so with a lot of kind of different platforms out there and competing against just traditional brokerages, I imagine customer acquisition is pretty difficult. So kind of how do you think about that problem? Um, you know, so um, I think there's two or well you know many ways to go about it but you know listing off a, a few one is just the the product so m1 allows you to manage your money in a completely different way than any other retail brokerage on the the platform so you know we we've sort of said the notion of placing a trade is a very manual time intensive thing that makes sense for trading doesn't really make sense for long-term investing much make it much more about creating your portfolio and then systematically adding to it over time. And so, you know, it, it completely changes the way that people go about investing. The other thing is we're free. So, you know, we, we provide immense value uh, just by not charging. Um, so you know, every dollar that you don't pay in fees is more for you to earn, compound on and the like. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that provides a, a you know, massive re reduction in sort of friction of, of signing up. And th those two things alone create an immense amount of virality. Um, so, you know, we, if, when you go on Reddit and people say, what are the best ways to invest my money? And one appears as very frequently as, as, as one of those options. And so, you know, we, we have over, you know, 150,000 users on our platform who are strong advocates sort of doing our marketing for us. Um, and then, you know, there, there is a little bit of pay channel. We, we've been less apt to pour our money into that just because it can be expensive. It can, you know, I, we, we don't think that is necessarily the, the best return on our dollars. We'd much more um, happily invest it in, in our product and experience and make it something different and unique uh, to what exists on the marketplace rather than, you know, just creating a you know, uh, uh, land robo and then, you know, shining from the mountaintops out, um, you know, and spending just gobs of money on, on advertising. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so don't want to take up too much of your time, but I was just interested if you had any kind of daily habits or things that you do, um, because as a CEO of a fast growing startup, I'm sure your time um, is very valuable. So is there anything you do that really um, sets you up for success? Um, I can easily tell you the things that I want to be doing, whether I actually follow through with them is uh, debatable depending on the you know amount of work or, or stress that 
the, the company has, but I'm pretty maniacal about sleep. Uh, I don't function well without quite a bit of it. Um, it's, so I, you know, pretty religiously get eight and a half hours a night. Um, I've tinkered with meditation. Uh, you know, it's sort of the topic du jour of startup founders <laughs> nowadays. And so, you know, I, I've dabbled in that and um, I'm a, like, you know, just personally, like huge, I'll do a plug for uh, Sam Harris and his waking up app. I think it's fantastic in terms of the, the meditation thing. And then, you know, trying to work out every once in a while. And so I think, you know, that's just keeping the sort of, I think, I think like focusing on the physical health sort of just strengthens the mind. It lets me be more productive and lucid and, and um, you know, how sort of has uh, effects across what I do in the business capacity. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, just thank you so much for your time. Really interesting just hearing about kind of the ins and outs of M1 Finance and kind of your journey. So thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening. You can find more information at www.investingcity.org where you can sign up and subscribe for our email newsletter that goes out every Tuesday and Friday. And you can also follow us on basically every social media platform on the face of the earth. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave us an iTunes review as it really helps us out. And with that, have a fantastic day.